All right, everyone, welcome to Tonecast number 89. We are here, 89. That that awesome intro that you heard there, Marco, and that you've been hearing yeah. for all of these 89 shows is the the man we have on today, Jack Fawcett. Jack, what's up? I am the creator of the sound. The sound. We were talking before the show, the sound. It's it, it's this little riff um, that you created, and it's been our show theme, our show intro music for a long time. Maybe, um, I don't know if you remember what it's from, or do you remember anything about it? Oh, I do. I okay. absolutely remember what it's from. That, that little lick is the intro of an original song called My Rebecca, available now wherever questionable music is sold. <laughs> nice. And nice. Uh, it's a riff that I actually, to be honest, uh, some of the people who follow me on YouTube will know that's a riff that I overplay in a lot of videos because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're trying to trying to keep it fresh and trying to keep coming up with new material, doing a lot of videos is half the battle. And a lot of times if I'm, you know, need to get a video done and I don't have anything that I'm coming up with that's new and fresh, that's one of those go back to's that mm. I, I know will sound hopefully good when I play it. So nice. We, a lot of, a lot of my followers have heard that riff probably more than they'd ever like to. Nice. Well, we hear it every time we do the podcast. So we think of you and then we're like humming it for the rest of the day mm-hmm. or we like sometimes want to start singing it. But now, you know, full disclosure, we actually record the the audio separate so we don't hear the intro when we start but we pretend that in our heads yeah. that we hear it so like as we start <laughs> nice. talking i think we're like dun, 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 dun. we're still like uh you know you and i are just jamming here without uh without any noise which probably looks really weird but <laughs> it's just us in the in the studio so it's not a big deal <laughs> yeah i love it it's still uh, ringing through my head and i'm i mean i guess i'm we're just going to start right into it normally we'll save the desert island gear question to the very end but because this is definitely more of a guitar focused podcast and guitar topics i want to start with that you know and because you are the creator of the sound let's maybe creator hear about sound. <laughs> what is your desert island uh, guitar amp and pedal so here's a very important prelude question does said desert island have electricity well mm. we're going to say that there's this magic uh grounded plug with two outlets okay. for your amp and for <laughs> for one pedal power supply or something so you can all right that's the i can the, work with that that's the my desert island amp is definitely a fender super reverb Ooh. I, i'm i'm a massive super fan and there, there's a bunch of amps that i've played and a lot that i've thought about and i've thought about this question all in fact because i've gotten asked this question quite a bit mm-hmm. on videos but i think that's the one that i would keep if i could only keep one for a pedal to go with it, oh, people are going to hate me for this, but it would have to be, with a super reverb, it would have to be some kind of tube screamer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the, the tube screamer is so funny because I I absolutely love them, but they get they are somewhat polarizing. You know, there are people who just hate them. I think they're great, and I don't need to look much. You know, there, there are some great tube screamer clones out there, but I'm also happy with a TS9. First time mm-hmm. I ever played on TV was with a Super Reverb and a TS9, and I wasn't left wanting anything else. Mm-hmm. So I think those two, and the guitar is the hard one. Yeah. My gut has <laughs> always been to say Stratocaster, because but believe it or not, over the past couple of years, I've really started growing to love Telecasters more. Mm. Uh, I, for a while I was just kind of like a Telecaster flirt, you know, every so often <laughs> I'd go off on a romantic weekend with a Telecaster and, and that would sort of satisfy my tele urge for a while. Mm. But the longer I've played, the more I'm like, no, that that's a sound that I, I think part of it is because I also really like hollow body guitars and a Telecaster is a better bridge 
between mm. the Fender sound and like a you know either a Gibson hollow body or even a Gretsch hollow body. I think because of the nature of the neck pickup and the fact that it's a two pickup setup. Mm. So I might be inclined to say Telecaster, but that answer would probably change every time we do this interview. Yeah. So so yeah. currently it's Telecaster, but currently may, maybe it's Telecaster. maybe early on Jack Fawcett, what would have been like maybe in your first couple of years of playing guitar, what would have been been the instrument at that point? All Stratocasters. I, then I went through a Gibson phase for a while, and I, I've always loved Gibson SGs, and I'm still a big Gibson SG fan. But mm-hmm. overall, I've really gravitated more towards the Fender sound. Uh, I think part of the reason for that is because you can get closer to the Gibson sound with a Fender than you can vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, if you mm-hmm. roll the tone back a little bit and crank up the mids in the gain, you can get a pretty convincing heavy sound with a Fender. But it's harder to get that sleek cutting crisp tone uh, on a Gibson. Yeah, for sure. So so what got you into guitar kind of the very first time uh, you had this bug to play guitar and then what was your first guitar? Well, I really lucked out with this. I think timing-wise, uh, I picked up the guitar when I was 18 and it was my first year of college. And what happened was I, I went to college and everybody was super into video games. This was the heyday of Halo, the early Halos. Mm. And I, I, I am very blessed that I'm terrible at video games. So... I'd sit in with people and just get like destroyed every single time, which of course made so you should you ever play Super Smash Brothers? Everyone else would be having these Duke out fights, and I'd be just barely trying to stay on the map while my little character's <laughs> falling to its death. Like I couldn't even get into the fight, let alone win the fight. <laughs> and when I, I went through my first semester in college, and there were some guys in the dorms who had guitars, and I just I was just enamored with them. So I asked my folks, I think I casually mentioned to my folks that I wanted to play guitar. And that Christmas, they bought me this cheap, like eBay plywood guitar for $15. Mm. And that was it. It was just because I wasn't playing video games, I would just sit there playing while everyone else was doing their video games. And, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody, everyone makes fun of you at first when you're a beginner because you can't really play anything, which is funny because being a beginner does not mean you're bad at guitar. It just means you're a beginner. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's how people act, you know, as I actually hate when people say, oh, I I can't, I won't learn the guitar because I'd probably be bad at it. It's like, well, everyone's bad when they start. (laughs) There's a difference between being bad and not knowing what you're doing. Some of us us are still bad at it. Then you can talk (laughs) about it. But yeah, that's so true, though. It It just the the bug bit me big time. Mm -hmm. I just played all the time and I was uh, already getting into being a serious guitar player within the next couple of years. Wow. See, that, and that's really cool, though, that you, even with the $15 guitar, you were just like, well, I, I've got what I need. I can, I can, you know, I'm off to the races with it. And, and yeah, I, I think that's an important point that you brought up is that just because you're a beginner doesn't mean that you're bad. I think that sometimes a beginner's approach helps you get out of your, some of your ruts maybe that you're facing because just because of the completely new approach to the guitar and somebody is you know, like trying to figure some stuff out and they don't know that these notes don't go together, but maybe they kind of do. I don't know. So that's, that's a cool point. But, um, you know, there's a weird thing in music of what your ear recognizes before you even realize it. Cause it is just that it's, you know, there are things that I look back on and I realize I like certain things in music because I heard them when I was a kid, but I wouldn't have even been able to articulate what it was for a long time until mm-hmm. you figure that all out. But 
Yeah, it is just that, you know, so learning guitar is in many ways, it's a lifelong journey. And the reality is it takes at least several years to really get your feet under you mm-hmm. to feel like you can even really play something. So I'm it's there's never been a better time to learn how to play the guitar with all the YouTube lessons and, and apps and things that there are. I mean, it's just so I, I don't like it when people say, you know, I, oh, I won't pick up the guitar. I'd be bad at it. It's like, let's get past that. Yeah, that's an excuse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, well, so maybe with that $15 guitar, is there any like key features that you maybe even that stood out then that maybe make it a good guitar? And there's maybe even things that you realize about your nice guitars now that you're like, oh, maybe this is. A, oh, no, there's no redeeming there's quality. Nothing good about it. Nothing so, good. I mean, the, what was good about it was that it started me off. Uh, mm-hmm. I will always, I, I still have that guitar. I mean, it's not, That's cool. it's not worth whatever I could get for it. And because it was my first guitar, it has, you know, a lot of nostalgic value, mm-hmm. but the only point to keeping it is that it was my first guitar, but it, it, it kicked off, you know, essentially what I'm doing with my life now. So it's, it was worth, it was worth every penny of that $15 yeah. and super <laughs> noteworthy and symbolic, I think. But, uh, exactly. so what do you think makes a good guitar? I mean, now in this question, you were mentioning your, you know, that cool, like, okay, it's easier for the Fender to get the Gibson sound, but it's less easy for the Gibson to get the Fender sound. But obviously there's something redeeming about the Gibsons. I mean, to oh, me, yeah. a, a big thing is like body resonance. And like, I mean, you can pick it up and strum it like an E chord and you can feel if that body is moving or not and how it moves with the neck. And totally, I think that's something that I always look for, but like, what do you think makes a good guitar? And I think the two things that make a good guitar, I think one of the most important things is that it needs to have a good neck and be playable because Mm -hmm. there's nothing less inspiring than a guitar. That's really hard to play. Yeah. Uh, It definitely has to do with it being a resonant piece of wood and I'm not a luthier, so I don't, I don't know what makes one piece of wood more resonant than the other, but you can tell one when you hear Mm -hmm. it and you can tell one that's not resonant when you hear it. So I think if you have a guitar with a good neck, that's a resonant piece of wood. And and like, don't get me wrong. I mean, I have, you know, Gibson guitars that I love. I have Gretsch guitars that I love. I've gotten really into Gretsch guitars and uh, a good guitar is a good guitar that you can do something with. You know, the, the only rule I've ever had as far as style wise is you can't play death metal on a jazz box. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but that being said, you know, you could do anything on anything. I played a blues gig recently with a Rickenbacker and it mm. worked great with a fuzz pedal. Ooh. Rickenbacker with a fuzz pedal. It sounded that's, awesome. That's you know? interesting. But it's, it's a good guitar. It's got a nice neck and it's a resonant piece of wood. So there you go. Anything like that, anything beyond that is just, I think, stylistic preference. Yeah. And I mean, a good a good musician will be able to do plenty with any kind of given situation, right? Like, I think that a good guitar should be playable and yeah, it, sh- it should be fine. Sure. That'll do. Yeah. It'll hold now, it too. There is, I think there is something to be said for figuring out the right sound for the right situation. Mm-hmm. It's an, it's one of those interesting things where sometimes we overthink things. Sometimes we think we just need something, but we're just kind of locking onto it. And it's hard to figure out the balance between that. And then also really being stylistically in tune, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, and I've recorded, uh, for instance, I've recorded multiple versions of the same song because I just like recording. So I record, you know, I record a lot. I'll do multiple versions or, you know, playing live. And sometimes I'll use a different guitar for the same song. And, 
one will work in one way and one will work in another way. And, and who's to say which is, you know, it, it's almost not a question of which is better. It's a question of how does it paint the picture the way you want to paint it, I yeah. guess. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. And it, um, yeah, they all lend their different things. And I know that it's not uncommon to be layering the same part with several guitars if you're trying to get a different timbral thing and I don't know. Right. Some of those recording tricks. <laughs> but Yeah, I, you know, there there was one song that I recorded years ago. I recorded a demo of it and I, I had to have a telecaster sound on it. Mm-hmm. And then later on when I did the final recording, I used a different guitar for the same part. And you know, so you're but the Telecaster worked in its way and the other guitar worked in its way. It was a Telecaster and, a, and then a Gretsch was on the final recording, which are obviously actually pretty similar tonally. Hmm. It was the middle setting on each. Oh, I did forget one other thing that's really important for a great guitar, which is high quality pickups made by Brian Porter. <laughs> Perfect. Good answer. We'll send you money in the mail. Thanks. I, I just wanted to use my announcer voice again one more time. <laughs> it's good. It's a good skill to keep stretching. But, and, and, uh, yeah, that's totally also a very impactful thing. And I think something that's easy to change the tone of of any instrument once you've found something that has that good neck, has that resonant body, has the style that you like, because that's right. also very important. We, we're so aesthetically driven, I think, as guitar players and our, you know, our, the guitars of our heroes or whatever. But I feel like for me, and, and it's funny that you're kind of a telly guy too, but I, I keep going, going back to the telly, and even lately, I've just been doing some like drop D, kind of like thrash metally kind of stuff. And something about that response of the telly bridge pickup is is so desirable. And I feel like it it's just super quick, super. It's like a it's like a sports car of a pickup almost. And especially once you start tweaking some of the stuff, and with the Telecaster plate, I like that you can just pull that plate out, leave the tension on the strings, and you know, yeah. mod mod things change out capacitors because that's also a, a big thing that i never really thought about and is a huge thing that can change the tone and will help absolutely make your telly uh tick all the boxes i think but i mean is there something you know, that you know i feel like oh, tellies always have like a you know they've got like that four-way mod and then they've got like oh but you can flip around the control plate and you can have your switch facing the back and there's all sorts of like fun telly mods that yeah, people kind of like. Is there any that jump out at you? Are you like a four-way guy? Do you like the series parallel? Do you like the? Uh, no, you know, I I had a Telecaster at, with a four-way selector at one point, and I I didn't like it. It, I mean, it wasn't objectively bad. It just didn't suit me for what I needed. Mm-hmm. I tend to not like things like that. I'm not a fan of coil splitting mm-hmm. uh and likewise i'm not a fan of you know like for instance fender has the s1 switch which is kind of the opposite of coil splitting it's mm-hmm. like taking two pickups and turning them into a humbucker and i've general for me personally at least i've always found that guitars do best what they do best you know co- like coil splitting I, I did a review of an epiphone guitar last year it was a, a hollow body that had coil splitting and i found you know when i coil split it it didn't it didn't all of a sudden turn that guitar into like a Telecaster. Mm -hmm. It was kind of just generic single coil pickup sound. It was like, oh, all of a sudden my humbucker is weak and noisy. That's nice. (laughs) Now, there are some, like PRS does it really well, uh, but that's more a key part to their sound, and they've Mm -hmm. figured it out, I think, a lot more beyond just the basic splitting of coils. So, But generally speaking, I've just found that guitars do what they do best, and... 
I think there's so many great options now that are not that won't kill your budget out there. You know, mm-hmm. there there are some really high quality guitars for not a lot of money out there right now. And because of that, I you know, it's more accessible to get a couple of different sounds that you need. So I don't like the idea of the super guitar that can do everything. Mm-hmm. To me, that's kind of like jack of all trades, master of none. Mm-hmm. Or you could just be jack of all trades and also charismatic and handsome too. That works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, so that's... it's interesting that we were talking about kind of like the the pickups and the, all those dynamics because. Uh, ironically, I think uh, we have a set of gold foils on the way to you, and they may even arrive today as we're recording this podcast. So I'm curious, um, you know, for those who are listening to this now and maybe just finding it um, by the time it's published, uh, there should be a demo within the next uh, few weeks after you hear this podcast of Jack playing the gold foils that we sent him. So I'm curious kind of what uh, what guitar you have in mind for our gold foils that we're sending you. And um, yeah, just curious what you're going to throw them in. I think I'm going to draw, I have a music man guitar that oh, I cool. think I'm going to drop them in. It's a music man, Mari Pozo, which is the, oh, yeah, the Omar. Omar Rodriguez Lopez uh, guitar. And, and you know, it's funny you brought up aesthetics. That's the reason it's going in that guitar <laughs> because I think it'll aesthetically look the best. We man. really are very visually driven. I, I love when players act like they're not because it's so funny because we really are, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, here's a great example. And there are some practical differences, but like a less, can we be totally honest here? A Les Paul and an SG sound nearly identical. They really, really do. Especially if you're playing with a lot of distortion, mm-hmm. like many players who play Les Pauls and SGs do. <laughs> They're so close that in any practical situation, you really can't tell the difference. The one practical thing that would be better for the SG is that they're a lot lighter. Yeah. So, you know, that's something, especially if it's an older player and they have, you know, back issues. I, I, my first time I was in a cover band and when I had just come out of some original band, so original gigs are like, you know, 45 minutes if you're lucky. And then I joined a cover band and we had a four hour gig and I brought a 13 pound Les Paul. (laughs) That was a mistake that made a man out of me that gig. But the, we, when you really get down to it, like you said, you know, people play very much want to emulate their heroes, but we're also very, very visually driven. We like a guitar as much for how it looks as how it sounds. Yeah. And even just down to the color, like we'll find the perfect yeah. model that we want. And we're like, okay, now what color do I want? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And people will well, that, not buy it because of certain that's colors. That's the yeah. world in general, isn't it? That's yeah. the reason that gold is so expensive because it's pretty. Yeah. That's true. I mean, let alone the fact that it's rare and whatnot, but but we really are. You know, a house is more expensive if it looks nicer and is in a prettier location. Yeah. We're just visually driven creatures. So I think it's important to be self-aware of that when you're thinking about what kind of guitar you want. Yeah, and I, I know that when that uh, Mariposa came out, I was like, "Wow, that is that's some, that's really cool." What finish did you get by chance? Because like, they did like a you know the black and the white, and then they did that shell yeah. pink, and then like this like a this like toothpaste kind of green kind of <laughs> mine's that one. It's what did they call it? It's, uh, it's, it's like emerald. Dor- I don't know. Dorado green, Dor- Dorado green. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I forget was, what the exact name it, It's kind of like a seafoam or a surf yeah. green, but a little darker, almost with like a, a hint of sage in there. Mm-hmm. And, and it like, has a really beautiful pick guard. Yeah. I like the pick guards and they're, they're like different with the uh, pink ones and the green one with the white one in the gold one. Like they have different hardware kind of things. And yeah, I like the angles and I don't know. I think it looks really cool. So I'm excited to see, uh, I'm excited to see those in there. 
Yeah, I, that's I, I like I said. I I thought it would be because the gold foils are a little off the beaten path as far as the the main guitar brands, and that guitar is a little off the beaten path, but mm-hmm. it's a great guitar and sounds resonant. So I thought again, you know, I could drop those pickups in an SG or something, and it would sound just as good and be fine. But it'll work better stylistically in that guitar. Mm. And I've never really even heard that guitar even. So it'll be interesting to see what they sound like. In that it's a nice guitar. It, yeah. They, they, you know, I don't play that heavy, but mm. uh, but it is a nice guitar, and it's one of the guitars that I've found that has um, the pickups that came in it were hot pickups, but mm. still sounded good, clean. That's always a struggle. I think I'm sure mm. Brian knows this, but with hot yeah. pickups, is you know, how do you get them so that they can drive an amp a lot harder and distort better, but also not lose their their kind of crystal clear character when you back it off. Okay, well, it'll be interesting to uh, hear what you think of these gold foils then. And, and they, yeah, that was my next question was like, how did you feel like the pickups in that uh, Mariposa were stock? So, yeah, it should just, uh, it, it should be an exciting yeah, I anticipated next few days. the question. This is why I'm great for <laughs> interviews because I'm wicked smart. Yeah. Well, that's interesting you mentioned the clean, the clean sound uh Profile because that's kind of what, where the gold foils sit. They're definitely like a special wine under the hood, a ceramic magnet, um, and, and they're they they read a certain way, but they don't respond in relation to the the reading, the DC reading of the pickups. Yeah. And and that's one of the things that we have to often kind of bust people on. They're like, "Well, this is a hot pickup. It reads 11K or whatever," and it's actually not the case. Mm-hmm. That's like right. a small indication of what what actually is going on under the hood. So I think like. In a way, these kind of became like, you know, a, a break the mold. I'm glad that you mentioned that, like mm-hmm. break the mold kind of thing, because I feel like I feel like they really do not only in looks, but what's going on under the hood. I think it just creates a um, just a cool platform for it. So I'm curious, like like Marco said, I'm curious about the the sound in there because we put ours in a uh, a PRS 2408 with the the mini toggles, so we added the split function. Mm-hmm. Uh, to them, so that that kind of gave us some some extra tones just to kind of hear what they sounded like. So I'm yeah. I'm excited to see what you do with them, and and you know we'll we'll have everyone kind of you know we'll post that demo when Jack finishes it. Um, we're not gonna you know make him work on Thanksgiving or anything like that, but <laughs> when he when he gets it done, we'll we'll definitely share that uh, that video to all of all of you. Um, maybe talk about it again on the podcast. Maybe we could do that as part of a follow up show with you, Jack. Is just sure. kind of go through the what you like before and after that kind of stuff. But I do want to transition a little bit to kind of what you do uh, with a bunch of your time, which is YouTube videos and recording and things like that. So we're going to kind of shift the topic from guitar to a little more technical YouTube-related stuff. So you ready to answer a few of those? I'm ready. All right. So I guess let's start off kind of with your current setup for YouTube. You don't have to you know, go down to each individual cable, but maybe talk about kind of the the big portions of your setup, whether it be the camera, the interface, um, you know, how you, how you edit, uh, kind of talk about what your setup looks like right now. Sure. So I use a dual camera setup uh, and I actually believe it or not, because they're so good now, I use an iPhone for part of the video and then I use a DSLR a Canon M50 for the other part. And so I use a two camera setup. Um, this is not sponsored. It's going to sound sponsored. So bear with me, <laughs> but I'm a huge PreSonus fan. PreSonus is one of the companies I became aware of a little over a decade ago. But being someone who's really into home recording, 
it was hard finding good quality but affordable interfaces and they fit the bill for me for a number of different things. So I use a PreSonus i2 interface, and I edit my audio in uh, Logic, and I, rec- I edit the video in Final Cut Pro. Um, and actually, I'm going to take a quick moment to mention this, because this was kind of a thing a little while ago, but... I know one of the things, and it's a fair concern, so I don't want to sound like I'm saying it's not a fair concern. A lot of viewers get very concerned about what is done to the audio in a YouTube video on Guitar Gear Reviews. Because when I put up a video, it's not the raw audio. I do edit the audio. But the reason that I edit the audio is not... The reason I edit the audio is not to deceive. It's actually not to deceive. The false false assumption that I've seen some people make is that the raw audio is the best representation of the tone, and it's not. And that's an important... So, like, for instance, mm. uh, in a home studio setup, mics tend to overemphasize lower mids. So, mm. I pull the lower mids a little bit. Now, the reason, that, like I said, the, the, I, the concept is that the raw audio is not an accurate picture of what the gear sounds like in real life. So I just want to be kind of clear about that for anybody who's listening that I do edit the audio, but it's to actually give you a better idea of what something sounds like as opposed to make it sound better than it is. And that's pretty much it. I I go between the two camera setup. I record the audio and edit it in Logic and I integrate that with Final Cut Pro. And I, I do the videos in two parts. I'm actually pretty casual about the way that I shoot videos. I don't do extensive, you know, planning or boards. I I try to keep it as what I'm inspired to do. So, uh, you know, out of a a video of anywhere from 15 minutes to a half an hour of playing, that will get trimmed down to about like, you know, 8 to 12 minutes and mm-hmm. then after I get that all done and I look back at what I've done and think about then I'll do uh, a part where I, I sit in the chair and, and kind of talk about it and try and you know, crack a couple of jokes once in a while, you know, <laughs> be charismatic. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's about it. I, it takes me, you know, I, I usually shoot my videos. I shoot the playing footage within a couple hours during the week for all the videos I'm going to do for the week. And then the editing takes for an involved video. The editing can take quite a while. So I also have, I have five kids and we have a sixth coming. So you know, I'm I'm used to editing videos with like toddlers crawling on my back and things, <laughs> yeah. which is par for the you, you know this, Brian. That's par for the course. Yeah, <laughs> <the> kids. <laughs> that's why we got we got a shop early on because uh, it was like our first first probably year and a half ish of kind of starting to actually sell pickups. And we converted our our uh, third son's bedroom into the pickup shop every day and uh-huh. then reconverted it back into the nursery every night. And oh, that must have been killer. After yeah, it's literally like, okay, put the soldering iron away and we got to put it up high because <laughs> I don't want them turning on the soldering iron and and this was like the, you know, people say like, oh, they started their business in the garage. I'm like, well, we didn't actually. We started it in a in a nursery. It's symbolic, I mean, <laughs> Brian. <laughs> it is, for sure. That's so cool. Yeah. And well, and it sounds like Jack that you've got your setup pretty dialed in now, but I'm you know, I'm always curious to hear about like the the first setup that really kind of started going. That maybe you released your your pilot video that you're like, 
All right, oh, am Jesus. I going to post this? Well, those how was those it? Was videos, that all? Those videos I all, I deleted a lot of my early <laughs> videos, which I, I I almost wish I hadn't. I wish I had just set them to private or something so I could revisit them mm-hmm. now and you know see how far I've come. But I have like this bad habit of <laughs> I reject old work that I've done because I'm always so focused on doing something better and further mm-hmm. that anything that's not up to the standard that I set for myself now, I look back on as a failure as opposed to thinking, as opposed to having a healthy view of it where it's like, <laughs> no, it was part of the journey. It was, it was just a lower rung on the ladder of life. It's like, nope, I don't want that to represent me at all. Get it out of here. <laughs> it was a waste of my time. Delete. I'm deleting that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so, that's totally I, the artist thing though. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it is, I've, you it know, is. I've tried and failed and, tried again you know making guitars and that was like the history of of porter and i i can't i can't separate like me getting into this mess without building guitars but it's also been a challenge over and over again like yeah because we even see we have this thing we call the graveyard and we've got this corner of the shop that we haven't ever cleaned up basically and it's like a lot of like prototypes are hiding in Mm -hmm. there a lot of like we've got some stacked single coils that are like hiding in there and and every once in a while we'll find them and be like, oh, yeah, remember those oh, days yeah. we were trying to build this crazy thing? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how quickly you forget something that you were so engrossed in, too, mm-hmm. because you're so focused on what you're doing now. The next thing. Sometimes you're, you're so focused on the next thing. Yeah, and I, I am trying to – the older I get, I am trying to find a healthier take on that because – looking back, you know, I, I always did the best I could at the time Mm -hmm. and just, you know, like it should be hopefully in life that keeps getting better. You know, I think there's sometimes when you're moving more laterally than you'd like to believe that you are, but, um, yeah, it, 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 I wish I had kept some of those videos. My first setup was just, I, I used to just record videos on, uh, a digital video camera that I got at Radio Shack. Nice. Now, the weird thing about it is that I started putting up videos in the early days of YouTube, like 2007, I want to say. And the there were, of course, much fewer videos on YouTube and also the rules of what constitute, constitute, constituted, const, that's like a weird, <laughs> I don't even want to go down the road about what I was just about to think and say. <laughs> what constituted, for those of you playing the grammatic game, what constituted a YouTube view was not nearly up to the regulation it is now. So I had some of these videos that I just shot like in my, you know, old apartment bedroom, not edited at all, right? There's like a solid 15 seconds of me, you know, like hearing the weird noises of turning on the camera (laughs) and then stepping out in front of it. And some of those videos got like 40,000 views because it was just a new thing. And there weren't, a, you know, there weren't a ton of, this was even in the days before, like, pro guitar shop demos. Wow. Before Andy was a household name amongst yeah. us guitar players. So it is, I always found it oddly frustrating of, like, I, I nobody had the foresight of this, I think, at that point. Well, some people did, obviously. But I wish I had really taken the time then to think about, hey, maybe I should try and edit a really good video here. I could start something. But no, it was just me being a college guy in my apartment, you know, I said, hey, I bought bought a Telecaster. I'm going to play it now. This is some licks that I know. Which brings up an interesting point, too, is in order to do this, you really need to learn as much about video production as you do about being a musician. Hmm. Yeah. 
makes sense. And then, so I guess kind of tying into that, how do you, how do you stay motivated? Because I know that there's people who will, you know, as a content creator, um, that half the key I feel like is consistency, just continue to put out content. But, but I see a lot of people that like, I'm starting a YouTube channel, they make three videos and then like it's six years in between their next video. Um, so how do you keep, how do you make sure you keep that motivation going and continue to create stuff? Well, part of it is necessity. I have to. This is uh, doing YouTube and doing gear videos with people has become a big part of my income. So when you, you know, when you have your back to the wall, you don't have a choice but to keep pushing forward. Yeah. So I, luckily, I do have, and I, I would feel bad if I went through this interview without mentioning this. And I promise I'm not paying lip service here, but I have a lot of great followers now. Uh, and I'm very, very lucky to have a lot of great followers and people who really engage in good conversation in the videos. And, you know, I do the live premieres now a lot of times when I have a new video coming out and we have a live chat when it first plays. And there are some people who have been very supportive and really become a good part of the channel. And I've gotten a lot of ideas from them of, mm. hey, I'd like to see this. Hey, I'd like to see this. And that helps keep it fresh for me. One of the big things is, trying to i wouldn't have a harder time if i was just doing the same thing all the time and i actually so like i struggled for a while when i was just doing mostly pedal demos particularly because they weren't going anywhere because the pedal market got kind of oversaturated Mm -hmm. for a while so you know work really hard on a pedal demo for like a small builder to try and help them sell pedals and to try and help me get the word out about the channel and it just wouldn't do anything because they're just you know be like oh you know another clone of this and people even if it was a great pedal and a great video just nobody would care yeah which was sad and that kind of burnt me out for a while and i thought this isn't going where i want and i'm not even inspired to do these anymore so i stopped doing pedal demos for a while and tried to get into more stuff that i was just interested in as a player just tried to think what kind of videos would i like to see Mm -hmm. so i started doing features on amplifiers and shootouts between guitars and and things like that i eventually got back into pedal demos because i do still enjoy doing them and once i once I kind of broke free of feeling like it was a rut there because I'm still a wicked pedal head. So mm-hmm. now it's fun again, which is good. Yeah. And it but should be. Yeah, it should be exactly. And if you're, if you're struggling to, for me, it's, I guess it's a matter of if I'm, if I'm feeling like I'm stuck in a rut, I need to always keep doing something. So I just try and change up what I'm doing. And I actually have some change ups coming soon, which I'm excited about. But I'm not going to say anything more because it's a secret. Maybe uh, next time we talk to you, you'll we'll we'll have something new and exciting to to share. So that'll be cool. I I very well may, but uh, awesome. It's the other thing for me is being an original musician. You know, my big passion with music is writing and recording and performing original songs. Mm-hmm. So I always try and have that going on to some degree, even if it's not the primary thing that I'm doing. I always like to have it as, you know, have a gig that I'm working towards or have yeah. a song that I'm recording and make sure that that is, you know, make sure that that part of music is satisfied. Yeah. It's always simmering in the background kind of, you know, amongst all yeah, the other stuff. Yeah, and sometimes stuff. it takes the forefront and I like when it takes the forefront. And then other times, you know, other times I get to just geek out and, and be all about gear and mm-hmm. that's fun too. But, you know, for you, I'm sure you guys can relate, you know, one of the things about, 
guitar that's interesting is it's not just this consumer. It's not like getting the the newest iPhone mm-hmm. or whatnot. It's you know for as much consumerism as there can be in it, and for much as it is like a boys with toys thing. Uh, all due respect to girls who are also into guitar, there it's just mm. just for me. But it is also a tool of self-expression. Not yeah. to sound cheesy about it, but I'm very, very inspired. Like you, you know, we talked about the desert island gear. I could sit there with a guitar into a super reverb and play for hours and feel really inspired and create music. And you create music that means something to you. So it is more than just a new TV or something like that. Yeah. So that's that makes it more than just geeking out over toys for me. You know, there's there's a fun aspect to it, but there is something that goes a little deeper, and I like that about it. Yeah, you're, th- there's so many facets to guitar, and I think that that's something that a lot of people don't think about. But yeah, when you you know once you've been playing for three hours and you're a little guitared out, you you can pop open your tele control plate and you're like, hey, I'm going to see what what happens if I uh, swap these capacitors, maybe uh, fuse a few of them together and see if I'm getting some weird weird thing going on. So. You know, right. I, I, I've lost entire weekends to just one guitar and between playing it or changing the strings at the start of the weekend. And then, you know, the guitar seems to kind of take over the weekend and whether it's writing, whether it's recording or just, just kind of teching, tweaking the tone or something. So, yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, what do you think makes like a good gear demo? You were saying like maybe once you started doing the shootouts and stuff, like you were having more fun. I think that definitely you know, where the inspiration lies definitely makes it good. You know, if you make something uninspired, it's probably not too thrilling to watch. But It's hard to pretend to be inspired if you're not. Yeah. So you have to find a way, you have to find a way to be inspired, even if you're not. Now, that mostly comes into play if you're doing a video in conjunction with a company. Mm -hmm. If a company, you know, you work with and you're doing a sponsored demo by them, and it's something that you don't want to do. Now, luckily, that's only happened to me a few times. There have been very, very rarely where I got something that I just wasn't inspired mm-hmm. to do. But then if if I had to, I tried to find a way to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I've lucked out. And, you know, because companies are smart with that, too. You know, they work with players who suit their style. Yeah. Very, very rarely. have I. You know, nobody's going to send me uh, a, a death metal pedal. If they watch my channel, anyway, if they don't watch my channel, maybe you know, they'd be like, just hey, we send you this pedal. I might be robot. like, uh, have you watched my channel? Is that something you really want to, you know? But <laughs> doing it differently, what made it fun for me is start instead of doing just a straight-up demo, is geeking out about gear. Because mm-hmm. we're nerds. Yeah. And now is a great time in life to be a nerd because the internet has connected nerds and now nerds have strength. So we're nerds about guitar gear and it's fun to dive down that rabbit hole and just do videos. But, you know, I did a video on a Fender Princeton reverb back in the spring that has done pretty well and gotten a lot of views. And the reason is because it's just me geeking out over a Princeton reverb for like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's it. It wasn't a sponsored video. It was an amp that I picked up on my own. And it was just just like, hey, this amp is great. Here's all the 8 million reasons why I think this amp is great. Mm-hmm. And that was it. So if it were an amp that I wasn't really that inspired by, you run through the tones and you do, you know, you try and make it fun and interesting, but it wouldn't have had the same pizzazz, I guess. Yeah. People can just tell when you really like something or if you don't. Yeah, and I think that's definitely, you know, I've I've definitely heard it on my end because I can talk about 
the stuff that I'm building all day and I, I'm pretty uh, obsessive about it and I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I love what I do. And so the way I talk about it, I think people tell me that a lot that they can just tell how excited I am. And, and I think that when that translates that you're doing something right or it feels right, you know, you feel right. in key with, with the, the key of life that you're in, in that specific moment or whatever. Sure. Yeah. But um, any advice for anybody looking to get into demos or any any things that maybe you feel like were big hurdles that you maybe struggled with and that you're clearing now and that you know you know what is a big uh, a, a big thing is making it visually compelling and making it visually compelling means you need to understand lighting. So if you're thinking mm-hmm. about getting into videos, you need to do research and it's easy to do research now. Like you can find YouTube videos that'll help you on this subject. You can find books and articles online, but lighting. I, when I look back at some of my old videos, when I didn't have good lighting, I didn't recognize this at the time, but the more I learn about lighting, I look back at those and I go, Oh, those look really amateur. Mm. Those look really, really low budget amateur. Like I didn't know what I was doing. And then the better I get at lighting, the more professional I think the videos look. I also think, and this is hard for me because I tend to be long-winded, but keeping it fast-paced is an important thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'll i have sections of demos where I speak for 15 minutes and I really don't want to cut any of it, but I'll need to cut it down to like six or seven minutes. Mm-hmm. And the same with playing, even honestly, you know, you, your playing needs to be sharp and to the point. Now, I'm yeah. someone who really likes low-key music. You know, I, I listen to like I listen to to Bill Frizzell a mm, lot, okay. uh, and yeah. uh, I listen to Mark Knopfler and Eric Clapton's solo stuff. I don't really listen to a lot of fast paced rock anymore. I, I like mellow music. You know, doing videos and having six kids and and living <laughs> the life that I live. I don't want anything to rev me up. I want things to settle <laughs> me down. So. That's the kind of music that I like. Well, that music doesn't always translate into an exciting video. It's about, it's it's not that it's bad music. It's the same as doing a gig. Like I write a lot of ballads, a lot of ballads, and I love them. They mm-hmm. mean something to me, but I can't play them all at a gig because you'll lose your audience. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's a good song or not. It's about, you know, people wanting to dance and feel energized. Mm-hmm. So understanding those things, I think is, and, and taking yourself out of it. I struggled with that for a long time. I struggled with that kind of like, well, this is the music that's important to me. This is the mm-hmm. way that I feel. So this is the way I'm going to play. And when in reality, it's like, no, just understand objectively what will catch people and what will make it work, I guess. Mm-hmm. And just kind of staying true to you know as much to what you think is what you want to be as a guitar player, right? And and because it's yeah. not ever, I I feel like you know I play in a lot of different projects, and there's not ever like I can't control what comes out of me. I just have to kind of sort it and put it in the appropriate box, and, and you know kind of put it up the right exactly. channels. Exactly. Because yeah, I you know what? I hit a lot of styles as well, you know, and it it, what it you is just not all metal. Me. Um, I got this the best some of the best advice i ever got as far as like songwriting goes came from someone who i think smoked a lot of marijuana in his life <laughs> and was having like this epiphany moment when we were talking about it and he said you know man you can't write any music that's not inside you <laughs> 
And it, as much of a funny, like kind of as stoned out moment as it was, I actually thought there's a lot of wisdom to that. You can't write some, I've tried to write songs or, you know, play videos in certain styles because I thought they'd do well, but that they weren't ultimately me mm-hmm. and it didn't work. And I, there was one song that I have, I still have the song I've, I've written it. It's a full song, but I'm never going to record it. Cause it's just so not me. It was mm-hmm. me trying to think about like, what's a song I could sell to someone that could be like a hit song. Mm-hmm. And so I think a better, a better course of action is to figure out who you are and try and direct that and focus that in a way that can be successful as mm-hmm. opposed to trying to do something that you don't, that that's not in you. Yeah. And that's almost just like some good like life advice almost that'll get you that that can go in any field, you know, that's not tied right. to just us creatives or whatever. That's us deranged musicians. Yeah, us crazies, <laughs> us obsessives. But uh man, we I feel like we could just keep talking with you all day, but I definitely have to um kind of get some stuff mobilizing on my end. Um so we'll definitely try and get you back for a, another show. But I Absolutely. just kind of wanted to give you a quick opportunity to, you know, tell us about your links, how we can get a hold of you, how people can be more in tune to what Jack's got going on. Sure. Well, I am online. It's easy to find me. Uh, it's uh, Jack Fawcett. Fawcett's F O S S E T T. And oh, announcer voice. I love announcer voice. Yeah. And, you know, as we were doing this, I went and I followed you on, on YouTube. I didn't. I hadn't yet, so now it's official. Sweet. I'm actually, uh, I, I, my goal right now, it's, uh, it's November 2021. My goal right now is to get to 20,000 subs by the end of the year. I think I'm going to be just nearly there, plus or minus. But like I said, it's, it's been going well, and I've got some... It's easy to get too hung up on numbers, and I am very glad that the people who subscribe to my channel are good people who we have good conversations with, because I'd rather have... You know, I'd rather stay at that number with a lot of good people than just become a fad for a while and get a lot of people who just don't really care. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like playing a playing a gig. I'd rather play a gig for 10 people who are really there because they like the music than for 100 people who are yelling at you because they can't hear the Red Sox. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm in Maine, really? so we're in the New England sports, you know. Would you keep it down? Mac Jones is throwing touchdowns here. <laughs> That's so funny. Well... You know, thank you so much, Jack, and I will just be in touch. And you know, we're excited to see what you do with the gold foils, and we're excited to awesome. uh, know about what you've got cooking. You know, you said you got something yeah. in the works, so we'll we'll be in touch. All right, wonderful guys, thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks, Jack. <laughs>